Hello, this is EMS Improv Podcast. Engage, be mindful, tell your story. We are powered by GEMS. Today, we are going to be speaking with Anthony or Tony Correa from Burlington Township, New Jersey, off the exit five for all those of you who know the, the Jersey Turnpike. Um, Tony has been or is a first vice president of the New Jersey State Fire Chiefs Association. He's been involved, ladies and gentlemen, in the fire service for 45 plus years. He's been a paramedic and involved in EMS for 40 plus years. Tony is here today to talk about a lot of things, brings a lot of experience and knowledge. We met in April 2020 and, I, and I'm and I'm friggin' uh, excited that we had that opportunity to meet in 2020 through the Congress of Mobile Medical Professionals and everything that that organization has been doing and all the different connections that it's made for both of us, Tony. But with all of that being said, I'd like to welcome you and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. You were out there doing um, confined space rescue training earlier today over in New Jersey or PA, whichever state you were training in. But Tony Correa or uh, Anthony, however you prefer, welcome to the EMS Improv Podcast. Thank you for giving us a little bit of your time, your insight, your passion for EMS, uh, the fire service, and how things can, from your vision and perspective, move us forward. Uh, well into the 20th century, doing things better with compassion, essential skills, emotional intelligence, and other things that you're passionate about. Thank you and welcome, Tony. Glad to have you here. So hi, Eric. Uh, I'm glad to uh, be here speaking with you again. Uh, one of the things I like about doing this with you uh, is you're, you're easy. We could just have a conversation and still provide information that will be uh, beneficial to all who are listening to this podcast. Um, so Provide me some guidance of where you'd like to go today. You know, thank you for giving me that opportunity. And, and one of the things that I'd like you to feel comfortable with is just sharing your feelings. You and I both know how to be appropriate and civilized and acceptance. Uh, and, and I say that because I laugh because we were talking offline and, and uh, we, we uh, you know, we're kind of chuckling at some of the things that we decide that, well, let's, you know, let's say that a little bit differently, you know, because we can, we can have conversations off, uh, you know, heaven forbid that gets recorded type type background but you and i come from a, a mold and a mindset in the northeast of you know if we're going to do it we got to get it done uh we're going to take the bull by the horns and, and we're going to start just you know looking at seeing what the needs are and you uh in 2020 with with the congress of mobile medical professionals and i gotta tell you this tony uh, a lot of people out there don't know what that is um and you are the consummate leader and you are the person that always gives credit for other people uh participating or adding their strengths, knowledges, their, their, their skills and abilities. You were, you were effectively the founder of this organization um, that is now on the uh, precipice of, of having a, a research article uh, published in, in a major, major uh, EMS magazine here in, in the new year to getting speakers and, and people engaged in, in levels of uh, EMS and mobile medicine and mobile integrated health across the country. Um, so honestly, in deference to you and everything that you've done, 45 plus years, uh, you're, you're an executive fire officer. You, you're still a paramedic, uh, still taking care of people. Um, you teach PTLS, you teach confined space, ACLS. I, I'm actually here to listen to some of the great ideas that you have. You talk about compassionomics. You talk about the big picture in mobile integrated health and medicine and emotional intelligence on a daily basis. And those are music to my ears. So Tony, I really want to just give you a free platform to, to share with uh, the people that you know and, and new listeners to your ideas 
that uh, we can teach old dogs new tricks. You and you and you and I aren't young, and and we're not old by by what our minds tell us. Um, we we both have a lot that we'd love to continue to learn, but you have a lot of of wisdom and knowledge, skills, and abilities that I'd like you to share with our our listeners. So, really, pretty much free reign if that doesn't uh, doesn't uh, bother you. <laughs> Look. You, you, you pay attention to Live on the Lake every Friday morning, which, by the way, we, we moved to Sunday this week. Um, and I'll try to uh, pull it all together. But, you know, sometimes we go off on the rails a little bit of a tangent. But if we do, it still will be valid to this whole conversation. So let's let's just go back in life a little bit real quickly and say, you know, growing up in New Jersey, you had to be, especially as a male, had to have a tough side. The guy that your friends always picked on you, Tony ETs. And not only did you have to take it, but you needed to stand up to them. And then you get into the fire and the EMS service and we're taught to be tough, to uh, not show emotion, buck it up, kid. Um, and get in there and do the job, whether it's firefighting, you know, moving that hose line inside the building or, you know, being a medic, jumping down and getting in the middle of, uh, of dealing with a um, cardiac arrest and uh, passing a tube uh, quickly, uh, as well as starting an IV, you know, for the people who remember, heck, uh, putting an endotracheal tube in and wire there, uh, putting an EJ in, in the neck. Um, so. You know, you come, we, we come from being pushed into that background of being tough on each other and being to the point that, you know, don't be soft and you got to be very good at the tactical and technical skills. And over time, well, initially, you know, you so I become a an EMT and a paramedic. And what do they teach you? in EMT and paramedic school, how to be tactically proficient, how to do CPR, how to do a splint. I remember having to put on the short board uh, over and over again in the EMT class. And it was one of the critical skills you had to pass to, to be able to um, become an EMT is to put on a short board and put on a Thomas half ring. Now, is that going back far enough for you? Wow. And, and it, it had nothing to do with your ability to deal with people. It had everything to do with being technically proficient. And firefighting, you know, it was uh, advancing a hose line down the hall line, down the hall, uh, you know, knowing how to, uh, to maneuver a hose, how to climb a ladder, how to open a hole in a roof, uh, extrication, how to properly do extrication. With, let, let's go back with air chisel, or even if you want to go with a lawnmower blade and a sledgehammer. And very little was talked about that person that you are going to save at a fire or that person you're cutting out of the car or the person you're doing compressions on. And, you know, also back then we're watching emergency who was emulating what I'm talking about, being those tough guys doing this tough job and being the saviors of life. Well, it didn't take me long, maybe two, three years, especially after I became a paramedic to find out, as you know, about 10% of our calls are emergencies and probably 5% are true emergencies where we save lives. We save lives because of our tactical interventions of uh, passing an endotracheal tube, uh, 
starting an IV and giving the right meds, uh, doing a proper extrication on a patient, getting them out in a timely manner. And uh, I was disgruntled with, you know, Mrs. Jones calls me at three o'clock in the morning for chest pain. But, you know, she's anxious. She doesn't seem like the chest pain is a real issue. And I'm like, to myself, Miss, why is she bothering me? Why is she bothering me at three o'clock in the morning? She really didn't have chest pain. We should, we should call the police. We should have her arrested, you know? And then you go out on a call on the street and you have somebody with alcohol intoxication and you would treat them poorly or uh, opiate overdose and you wake them up and you'd make fun of them. And, uh, took me a while and some different classes and some different people to get me to realize we're in the people business. Our job is to take care of people and the people part of it, it has, was not promoted. And then you see movies like patch Adams. And by the way, for you kids, you don't know what patch Adams is one 800 Google. That's what I tell uh, my EMT and paramedic students. 1-800-GOOGLE, look it up. But Patch Adams' movie talked about compassion. And then I read his book. And I started to realize that most of our calls simply required us to be nice to people. And, you know, the great late uh, Chief Alan Brunacini from Phoenix, you know, it was all about being nice to Mrs. Smith. And when I had that change of heart that I was helping people by being nice to them, when I got to the hospital to make sure that the nurse knew about an issue that they had or some concern that the patient, maybe the patient's afraid of needles and to, to let them know and, and to hold their hand in the ambulance um, and, and not to be as concerned. And don't get me wrong, at any day, she said I was doing confined space training this morning extrication training last week, any chance I can get to cut up a car or be on a hand line um, or, or start an IV endotracheal tube, uh, I love it. However, the reality is that's not what we do most of the time, yet we don't concentrate on that. And you talked a little bit about Compassionomics, a book uh, by two doctors out of Cooper. And in that book, it talks about all the benefits of compassion. And it's based on over 1,100 research articles. So if there's 1,100 research articles on the benefits of compassion, why aren't we talking about um, the effective domain? Why aren't we talking about emotional intelligence? Why aren't we talking about not only respect to our patients, but respect to each other. You know, we rib, rib each other and, and we, we tease in good nature, but it gets out of hand. Yep, and, so and I got to tell you, I, I just quickly, I was a fire chief in a fire department where I came in and became a, a new fire chief. And over time, we fired four people for harassment of their coworkers. And it wasn't intentional. They said it was horseplay. So, you know, why aren't we looking at effective domain, emotional intelligence, being respectful of, of each other uh, and compassion, all the important things, both to patients and those we treat, as well as those we work with? Tony, so so many things, and I've, I've been writing notes uh, as, as earnestly as I have been uh, listening 
to the words and, and the stories that you've been sharing. And, and I've seen in my own mind some of the stories uh, of these things happening. Um, actually, uh, yesterday, just uh, as an aside, I was I was talking with uh, Chris Fields, uh, and you know who Chris Fields is, that uh, sure. Oklahoma City firefighter, uh, the Bailey Almond photo. Uh, sure. And we were talking about a lot of these things differently, but hurt people hurt people. And, and sure. um, we in the fire service, um, we in EMS, we in law enforcement, those other listeners out there in other other fields and, and professions and industries, uh, it ultimately comes down to hurt people, hurt people. And we don't teach, train, and develop humans to be better humans. We teach, like you said, for a competency or a uh, technical skill. And one of the things that I love about your passion and your motivation is you're talking about emotional intelligence. Um, I do leadership trainings on vulnerability and the power of yes. And people are like, I'm not even allowed to be vulnerable because we're still ingrained in the power of no and the power of control, as opposed to the power of collaboration and the power of engagement with other people and being positive. So um, you said at some point in your career, in your life, you had this transition, this transformation, you kind of from the cocoon, you know, you became this butterfly and, and you bring life now in, in your actions and you care and you're more compassionate. Uh, I'm curious if there was a specific situation, because you said there's people and you said that there's events. Was there a specific event that really resonated in your heart or your soul that you were just like, oh my goodness, I yeah, have been I, doing, okay, go ahead. Yeah, actually there was. And, and first of all, and I loved the man and he's been passed over 10 years. But my dad was like Archie Bunker. He was a tough guy. And, you know, you came home with a, a bad report card. Well, you, you feared going home because you knew you were getting a good beating. And if you open your mouth the wrong way. So I, I knew I, I didn't want to be like that. But he also had issues growing up, went in the army at 17. And his relationship with his father wasn't that great. So that was part of my life that I didn't want to be like that. But my first wife contracted breast cancer. And now I'm in the world of my wife and I going regularly to doctor's appointments, going to uh, the hospitals and noticing how uh, care workers, nurses, doctors, et cetera, treating, and, you know, some of them are really good. Some of them were really terrible. And I start thinking about you know what, I'm transporting uh, this cancer patient, a terminal cancer patient at a hospital. You know, there's nothing I can do with him with my magical paramedic skills. And it's like, uh, I didn't have the feeling of compassion. I got, honestly got to tell you, I didn't have the feeling of compassion. I did it kind of was necessary, but you know, they're going to pass away anyway. Well, when my wife contracted cancer and uh, it, it came back after a year and a half and we dealt with it for a total of four years before she died at age 36. Wow. Uh, I really had a whole new, um, I don't know if you call it understanding, but I had a whole new appreciation for what it's like to be treated well, uh, both clinically as well as compassionately. And I got to tell you, I had a great family doctor who I met in the ER before he took on family medicine, Dr. Subramoni. And Dr. Subramoni um, emulated what we're, we're talking about, that 
kind, cool, compassionate person. When my wife was diagnosed, he still found positive and soothing words uh, to help help her get through it. And I think he knew early on that when she got to cancer, that she probably wasn't going to survive it. But he never had a, a negative word. So especially going through uh, my first wife's events, uh, definitely had an impact on me. And it had me thinking back how I treated patients that were similar to her. And at that same time, I start reading articles of how they were starting to teach bedside manner uh, in the hospitals. Um, and how that became important. And I started thinking, you know, it's probably part uh, important in my clinical uh, care. However, probably didn't in, come until the last uh, 10 years that I started actually saying, well, it's not important that I know it. It's also important that the people I work with know it, that the paramedic students that I preceptor knew it, that the new EMTs join in uh, the EMS agency, and we had volunteers as well as career, that they knew it, and that it was important for me to import impart on them to learn why it was important, and not only give them opportunities to, to learn how, you know, a new EMT, how to use a bag valve mask and a nasal pharyngeal airway, or see that a new paramedic did a great IV stick, but how they were dealing with um, the patients, but not only how that, how they interacted with their coworkers and how they interacted with hospital staff and family members. And, you know, I have this old um, saying, and you've heard it in different ways. And we've all heard it. I say, you know what, I go to Mrs. Jones' house and I could treat her terribly medically. I could do all the wrong things medically, give her wrong meds, do all kinds of wrong things. And if I'm nice to her, the family is going to send, uh, you know, a letter of commendation to the squad, how great I was. Now I treat Mrs. Jones well medically. Technically, I save her life, but I am terrible with my attitude. I treat her and the family terribly, talk to them gruffly. Listen, I'm here to save her life, not kiss it, uh, you know, kiss her butt. They're going to write me up for being a terrible paramedic, and I provide it terrible treatment. So the way you, you deal with people, uh, patients and family are critically, they, they play in, in, in an hour. We don't have time to go into detail, all of it, but it plays a critical importance in the patient's outcome and the family's um, mental well-being, as well as physical health as well, you know, and, and I guess now's a good time to kind of segue over or go back and forth a little bit but it also has impact on provider health. And we talk about mm -hmm. compassion fatigue and we talk about mental health issues in, in emergency services. And we try to attribute it to that one or two bad calls, those critical incidents. And I gotta tell you, honestly, Eric, over uh, 41 years being a medic on 20, 30, I don't know, at least 20,000 calls, all the bad calls, um, all the, the terrible calls that I've been on, that I've been able to deal with that because when I was called, I did the best I could for them, treated the family with respect and compassion. And But a lot of EMTs, medics, firefighters, police officers can't deal with that. My real stress is, and we'll get to this in a little bit, is organizational dysfunction, poor mm -hmm. leadership 
poor officers, poor supervisors, poor interaction between coworkers, the senior man. I don't care if you're a firefighter or you work in private EMS. There are senior men, and it seems that five to 10 year, they get that grizzled uh, attitude, that salty attitude, and they, 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 you know, have a bad attitude. I'm, I don't have the right words right now, uh, but they don't treat uh, each other. And they, hey, kid, listen, um, go clean up that ambulance. And, uh, you know, uh, the way you treated that patient today sucked. And, and no coaching, no corrective action, no positive environment. So compassion, emotional intelligence, the effective domain has so much impact on patient and patient care and the families as well as our own emotional health and our own, our own morale and willingness to continue to do the job, especially if you're a busy agency where you're, you're working, you know, you're, um, say, in, in a 12-hour shift that you're seeing 8, 10, 12 people at a, at a time, patients, transports, you know, it, it doesn't help um, when you're having a bad uh, interaction with them and then you're having a bad interaction with the people you work with. I, I hear you. And, and one of the big things and having worked in some very busy systems where in a 12 hour shift, I've run um, transported 12, 13, 14 patients and been on shift for 16 or 17 hours by the time you you get to leave with late calls and being more pissed about the business slash and versus the, the care, the, the, the compassion aspect. And, and for me, I had the same or very similar circumstance. It wasn't with, uh, with my wife. And, and thank you for sharing that, Tony. That was, uh, I know that's happened several years ago, many, many years ago now, decades. Uh, right. but, but the impact that it's had on your life, I, I just, I'm thankful that you shared that with us. And for, for a listener or two or, or a couple hundred out there that, that hear your words, know that, uh, you know, we hope and pray that they don't have to go through a transition like that in their lives to become a better human being and, and to have more compassion and, and to be a better leader, boss, provider, paramedic, firefighter, uh, mother, father, husband, sister, brother, whatever the relationship is. Um, so that's why, you know, people like us put ourselves out there, I think, too, is because if we can save somebody from a little bit of heartache and, and mental anguish in order for them to maybe use our life's roadmap to get them to a point of growth and a growth mindset, you know, that that's when authentic relationships happen and, and true leadership happens. For me, it was my physical health uh, with having uh, heart attacks and being coded and thinking that I was going to die and how well either my wife was or wasn't treated um, by fire EMS or the hospital staff and, and looking at compassion and respect and, and, and love and care uh, in a different way. I stopped actually going to one hospital system because of how abysmally they treated paramedics, how abysmally they treated their own uh, housekeeping staff, how abysmally they treated uh, my wife when we would go in there. And every time that they do this, I make a point of it because if we don't, you know, if we don't shine a light into the darkness, and I'm not saying I'm perfect. I have plenty of things that I need to be held accountable for. And that's one of the topics I want to talk about is accountability here in a minute. If they treat others badly, what in the world is going on within them? And that was my biggest revelation, uh, revelation uh, after my wife pointed out to me uh, that, you know, I could do a lot better, hint, hint, uh, grow up, jerk, be, be a better husband and have a better relationship. That translated for me with my health issues and negativity to being a much better coworker and, and be more engaged with people 
and sharing stories like this that other people still hold very close to the chest. So um, a lot of things where, where I hear you talking about bad leaders and, and ineffective leaders, and uh, it comes down to they haven't been trained in, in many aspects and they're not held accountable. You know, I, I worked for an organization where they preached firm, fair, uh, and consistency. So if you're firm, fair, and consistent, and, and everybody's held accountable, then there's very little opportunity for somebody to treat somebody better or them to overlook your indiscretions or your poor behavior. Um, but, you know, leaders now in, in a busy EMS system, what are they? What are they? They're glorified schedulers and they don't even have the knowledge. Well, they might have the knowledge. They don't have the, the skills necessarily or the training or, or most importantly, the time to even have relational conversations with with their coworkers or their subordinates or their peers. So um, talking about accountability and talking about some of those things, uh, I'm sure you got another story, but I'd, I'd like to hear what you have to say on kind of what I just. Ah, you know, yeah. You know, I can go, you and I can go on with this and go in many di different directions, but I just want to go back a little bit. Um, part of being a good leader is learning that becoming vulnerable and putting yourself out there as well as being humble is actually empowering. It, I actually feel better when I can let it off my chest and go, you know what, um, you all helped me or I had this bad time and I didn't, when I can get that off and share it with others, it's empowering. And to be humble to say, thank you, you helped me through this process. I got from a class I taught earlier this week, I got an email, unsolicited email from a gentleman who said, Thank you very much for that class. I really appreciate that you added um, resources, you know, links and resources to the class. And you took the time to do an after action feedback survey uh, of your of your performance in the class. You know, I get one of them every 20 years. And, and that was so humbling to me that somebody appreciated what I, I did. So I find that empowering. And because we are going to get into accountability and, and the accountability is, if, if you're a good leader right now, don't take offense to this. A leader, a good person that knows how to deal with people, treat people well, understands the human condition, human interpersonal dynamics, again, emotional intelligence, character. And by the way, some real exciting stuff is going to come out about uh, character-based leadership that, that's already being done in the Canadian Army for quite a few years that I had no clue about, as well as being uh, done now in, their, in the Canadian Treasury start Service through a gentleman by the name of Steve Virgin, who was in the military, and Jamie Richard, I think his name, he's a fire chief in Canada. So um, if you're not developing character-based leadership, developing emotional intelligence, understanding interpersonal dynamics, both with your, your employees, volunteers, as well as the patients, the hospital workers, um, and you're concentrating on billing and human, re, uh, you know, and scheduling, and you're really good at finance, and you're good at, you know, getting the ambulances purchased and maintenance and running work and buying grants. That's good stuff. But that's what makes an agency. You you can put people, you can empower people to do those things. And you could even do some of them. But I truly believe that a good leader is one that is 
people-based, that is emotionally intelligent, effectively effective domain-based first. I can teach almost anybody to do accounting. I can do almost anybody how to write a bid spec. All things that I've done, I can teach anybody how to do scheduling. I can do teach anybody how to do billing, but I can't teach, well, I can teach if you're willing to learn, but you got to be open to it. And you got to understand that what we do, one of the parts of this accountability is to understand, and I guess this is a good segue where comp come from. So the Congress of Mobile Medicine Professionals started right after the pandemic kicked in in late March, early April. And initially I just threw out there to have a Zoom conference. You know, we're all uh, huddled in our houses, stuck in our houses if we're not running the streets. And to have a discussion of fire and EMS vision, where are we going for the future, how we could use the pandemic to morph our EMS and fire systems to be better, how we could um, innovate, adapt, and evolve. There are three of my favorite words now. You know, innovate, adapt, and evolve coming out of this, well, going into it as well as coming out of it. And think about it still hasn't taken enough of root, but we've already done more with mobile integrated medicine. We have um, vaccines being delivered by medics to people's houses. We're doing telehealth, more with hospitals and doctors. But my whole goal was to have a discussion of how we can move. Uh, and this is also about accountability. Uh, to move forward, because I already knew when we, we didn't want to have the discussion that well, a few of us did with, with mobile integrated health and community uh, power medicine, but we really didn't want to have a discussion that EMS, emergency, emergency medical services was only maybe somewhere between 40 and 60% of what we did. Of all the people, we went to their house, we got a 911 call, we went to their house. Anywhere from 40 to 60% of them, depending on your system and community, did not need an ambulance to go to a hospital. Did they need care? Yeah. Maybe they needed telehealth with the doctor. Maybe they needed to go to urgent uh, care. Maybe they needed to go see mental health. Maybe they needed a drug counselor. Um, but they did not need to go to a hospital and waste hospital resources, plus the cost to the American public of, you know, 35, uh, to walk in the door of any emergency room back then was $3,500 before you even got seen. So I had already seen and seen other organizations doing it. And actually they were doing it. Was it New Mexico, um, a, a small town and they were doing it in Alaska. They were having um, outpost clinics that were staffed by medics. And the whole thing was to reduce incidents of illness and injury. And instead we still put all of our money into um, emergency, cardiac arrest, CHF, trauma, um, you know, diabetes, when that's such a small, and anybody, you can go look at your statistics, pull your statistics from your PCRs now, and you know that's such a small. So knowing this already going into the pandemic, and we did, how many places said, look, uh, we have so many people with COVID that we're now telling them if they have these certain signs and symptoms and it's not serious, not to go to the hospital. But we are always afraid of the legal end saying, oh, if you don't transport them, uh, you're, you know, you're going to get sued. You're going to lose. 
and and that data didn't show. So, you know, holding accountable is to be innovative, to look and have a vision for the future, to um, understand, to be accountable as a leader and as a person that what we do every single call, even if we don't make it, is we 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 utilize our emotional intelligence and our defect effective domain, even if it's just with our partners and the dispatchers. And if we get to a, a house or a location where there's a patient and there's family and bystanders, we utilize our effective domain and emotional intelligence every single call. Yet up until now, which is finally in the EMS education standards, and the yes, there was a little bit before, there is now a priority, a priority on the effective domain. And you know, I got all excited about that last week and was posting it all over social media because I think it's so important for every, every person that is in charge of what we call an EMS agency, and by the, to, to know about what we call, Eric and I and a few others, essential skills, not soft skills. They are the essential skills in order to, to run day-to-day operations, to deal with patients, to deal with hospitals, um, to, to deal with almost everything. And, and when you deal with people better, you're going to be, have more productive employees. You're going to have people that are more willing to come forward and go, hey, here's a better way to do it. Here's a better way to, to, call, to save money, uh, to save costs. So I know I tied a, a bunch of stuff in, but basically comp, Congress of Mobile Medicine came from knowing that it was time to make a change, that COVID was perfect. And a lot of what we had to do with COVID was uh, be nice to each other and be nice to the people. And especially if you're telling somebody, don't go to the hospital. I mean, you got to be nice to them. You got to give them a pass so they can call somebody if they're not feeling well, um, why they're, they're sequestered in their house, possibly by themselves. Um, so I, I, I think I answered some of accountability. Uh, give me some insight where you would like to go with this a little bit more. All right. Well, I, I, I like what you hit on. And one of the things with the Congress of Mobile Medical Professionals and uh, with the United Advance and uh, Advocate portion um, we, uh, to, to be a part of a, a, a really diverse group of individuals and, and to have been a part of a research, uh, process and paper that's going to be out there it, it, and without giving away any of the information, it, it has so much striking data and actual comprehensive data that talks about the things that, you know, we knew, or we felt those of us that had that kind of mindset already, but we, you know, without data, things aren't going to be changing. You know, data-driven decisions is, is how our world moves. Um, unless you're the owner of a company and you can change on a whim and, and make things happen. But more, more often than not, because of money and issues like where to spend things, um, as you were saying, you know, the 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 things that have the the maybe the lowest or not the not not the, that are not excuse me the preponderance of our calls don't receive the highest amount of reimbursement nor do they receive the, the highest amount of funding and or attention by many of us. And so there's going to need to be a paradigm shift and we're going to have to be accountable to the changes in those that are educating the, the new people that are coming up and re-educating or retraining or continuing to have a growth mindset for those of us that are still within the industry. And there's too much infighting and there's too many arguments over my organization or our organization or association is better than yours. I'm not going to participate there. 
kind of like, you know, why churches, you know, there's the, the umpteenth number so-and-so church because they split off from the, the initial church in that community because of politics and, and personal beefs and battles. And one of the things that I loved about comp is that no matter, I mean, we have business owners, you know, right. EMS agency owners and educators from across the country that were collaborating and engaging and, and, and accepting ideas without even agreeing necessarily on specific things, but knowing that this was an opportunity for us to really be creative and, and be curious and grow in, in that void of COVID. Um, so yeah, I guess, I, I, go ahead. I was going to say, absolutely. And we have billers and we have people like Jonathan Fate, who did a lot to bring us together, who have people that are, are collected data and they're telling us how we can utilize this data um, to better position ourselves for the future and understand where we're at. We have billers telling us how we can get alternate um, ways of compensation uh, for funding that we, we didn't think of. Because one of the things, unlike fire and EMS, you know, we've got to the point, and it wasn't when I started, that for some reason people believe that EMS has to break even or pay for itself. And, and that shouldn't be. If we're going to get into a model where we embrace prevention and we embrace early intervention, we have to find other funding sources, uh, you know, uh, that will help us do those type of things. And uh, but, yeah, the, the richness of the people of the Congress and while we'll say what are you know, we have this NEMSAC, I, I don't remember the exact um, all the initials of the acronym, but the group of the different agencies that come together on a national level and go, well, we have them. The difference with the Congress of Mobile Medicine is we're not, you may belong to AA, I may belong to something else, Jonathan. We, we're, we don't hold an allegiance to them. We came with a true power and belief that we could share our information to transform EMS and the accountability about getting past your organization or your agency being the best and the only way to do it, that you, we are definitely better when we have a unified voice and we don't have to agree on everything, but if we can pick three, four or five things that nationally we're all unified on, we're going to be better off. The hospitals do it, nurses do it, doctors do it, the fire service does it much better than EMS. Uh, it's important that we're accountable to the fact that we, we got to get over ourselves, like you said, and and come to get together. And I, I thought it was a good point to point out that we kind of done that through the Congress of Mobile Medi Medical Professionals by having different types of people come into the conversation and also have that forum uh, that, that I don't we have the forum, but have that environment where you know, we're not going to agree. And we know we get into some spirited discussion sometimes, but the bottom line is that we have that vision of where we can all go. And when we get lost, we come back to that vision. And quickly, just another thing, I talked about the EMS standard and it's on our website. The Congress actually wrote a position paper to the EMS agenda. And I truly believe, I, nobody said one way or another, although I've had some hints that our input, at least on the um, effective domain, uh, made a significant impact. And uh, our words, while not exact, 
are in that document. So it shows when you can come together as a unified voice for the right reasons, for the benefit of the people that we serve and not our own organization and see that we can get billing from, you know, uh, 41% to 50% so we can collect more money and that our actions are based about, I mean, I worked for an agency that we worked cardiac arrest in the field and everybody knew the reason that we did it. It was, and worked them and took them to the hospital was because we could get paid at a higher rate. And when we get past all that and we start doing things for the right reason and we, we work with our community leaders and, and our other allies, whether it's mental health, public health, especially COVID, if you haven't figured out that public health is an ally and a partner and that we're not working with all of them to find a better way to provide service, to innovate, adapt, and evolve to the future, um, then you're not serving your community uh, with their best interest. Right. So we need to get and I know I went a little off the rails, but. No, and, and, and you know, uh, oftentimes I think we do that when we're passionate. And, and that's why kind of a forum of just a okay. podcast at times gives people that opportunity to just kind of free think and, and go. Right. And, and that's one of the ideas that uh, comp has allowed us to do. And, you know, from Michael to Liz to Victoria to, to Jonathan to Tony to Michael to um, Ryan to Eric. And, and right. you know, there's so many more names than I, that, right. that I wish I could even think of. Steven, um, Mark, and, 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 then, and the list goes on and on of passionate, right. compassionate, authentic, intellectual, real, honest people that, that have united. And, and that's the biggest thing. So this is going to be my, my kind of uh, 30 seconds. And then I'll let you wrap up in the next minute. And, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll um, take our, we'll take our time to, uh, to go back into our other worlds uh, right. in a few minutes. When we can, as individual organizations, and, and that's why I love what Comp has done, uh, the, the archipelagos, if you will, that Jonathan uh, so, so masterfully brought up. Jonathan, I, I love you, brother. Um, so smart and, and, and so real um, and, 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 and kooky, and he'll say it too, and it's, and it's amazing because I say that with love. Um, but the archipelagos idea of we're individuals in that same ecosystem and uh, loosening a little bit of control in order for the benefit of all of, of mobile integrated health, mobile medicine, EMS, fire EMS, HEMS, whichever we wanna call it. We wanna hold on to what our little nuggets are because we feel comfortable and safe there. Well, it's time for us to get out of our comfort zones and it's time for us to start being more accountable uh, not only to our business models uh, or the lack thereof, but but to the people as a whole. And, and that's why I love your passion. And and uh, so, Tony, in the next 30 minutes or 30 minutes, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, if you could um, kind of encapsulate uh, right. what what you want to say and, and kind of uh, and, and there for our, our listeners today, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so our, our service is the mission to the community. It's community-centric, patient-centric, people-centric. And when you look at what your mission statement is and what your value statement are, and that, by the way, they should be developed by your whole organization, you need to look if you're actually providing the service that 
your your community wants that best serves your community not what best serves your organization and that will lead you to things like looking at compassion uh quality service uh and, and others you, you can figure out your value statement but I, I i don't think a lot of organizations have taken the time to take their mission statement and work with their community to help them develop it and be patient and community centric and then their their values whether it's three or four values that you have organization core values strategic values that, that's going to help you find where you need need to go and it will lead you that it's going to be the effective domain and emotional intelligence and compassion is going to help you figure out the right way to serve your community, but not only that, how to serve each other that you work with, and bigger than that, how we can collaborate on a national level uh, to be overall better at providing um, that mobile medical service to the community and not just be zeroed in on that. Uh, one or two things that we're passionate about that's important to us, but really doesn't serve the better benefit of the whole community. I love it. Um, so Anthony, Tony, Korea, um, if we put it all together, 86 plus years of fire EMS service, passion, compassion, dealt with loss personally. Uh, we deal with loss professionally. And for you to take your time and to share that consistently with the people around you, uh, your students, um, your coworkers, uh, those, those within the industry, and to continue to grow relationships. And again, for that person out there that needs to hear this, that old adage that you can't teach an old dog new tricks, not true. And, and Tony won't consider himself aged or old, but he's older than me and I'm not young. And, and I, I say that to say all of this, when passion meets opportunity tony continues to see opportunity so therefore you you feel his passion and i and i love that about you and i'm appreciative of the time that we got to share again today and the nearly two years of interactions that we've had and and i look for them to continue um you have helped instill in me or reinstill in me tony the the idea that uh to be selfless is not uh selfish but to be selfish when it comes to saying yes um, when I have an individual need, as long as it's not uh, un illegal, immoral, or unethical, that that's okay too. That I might need a break. That I, you know, be, I'm suffering from compassion fatigue or or whatever else. That um, we we can look at ourselves as 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 people of value and bring bring that love, care, compassion, emotional intelligence with that cultural competency, with that competency of of our of our education, our training in paramedicine or, or firefighting and education and, and put it to the best use that we can. So on behalf of the EMS Improv Podcast, where we encourage people to truly engage, to be mindful, to tell or share their story, I wanna thank you, Tony Correa. We are powered by GEMS. And until next time, I wish you well and happy holidays, brother. Thank you, I'm humbled to be here. It's an honor, thank you.